Good evening, church, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name's Cole. I'm the pulpit minister here at Central Church of Christ, and this is Dan Spaeth. He's one of our elders, and this is our Wednesday evening conversation through the Law and the Prophets, where we take some of the most interesting people and events in the scriptures, and we, we talk about it. Um, if you're listening to this on the Heart and Hands podcast, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. If you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, I want to thank you for being here with us. If you're watching on Facebook, make sure you like and share. It really helps us out. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed and you have the bell turned on so you get notified every time we upload a video. Here at Central Church of Christ, it's our mission to be God's heart and hands in this community and beyond. We do that in a lot of different ways. And if you'd like to partner with us in these various ministries that we do, I want to encourage you to head over to our website at www.churchvictoria.com. There's a donate button there through PayPal. You can hit that button and you can join with us in these ministries. We'd love to have you on board. Um, your Gospel of John class is, is well into it. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's a fun class. It's, it's fun. It, it, what's fun is, is that more and more people are coming back and they're they're the you know the, the pandemic thing is still in people's mind but they're coming back and it and that's fun because the class is up around 30 people now 30 35 and uh, and that's kind of where it was before so it, it's it's a good class I, I enjoy teaching it I really do well it's it's a lot more than 30 with all the aggregate views no I'm talking about there. just it, right. it's in there you know because you know I, I I can't it's really not my forte to to, to teach to that camera it's uh, it's more to teach to a live audience sure and so uh, I really enjoy the the comments, and I've got a couple people in there that really will talk, and so it's it's fun. It's a fun class. I, I enjoy it. I really do. If you haven't watched it before, I I, I invite you to watch it on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning at nine o'clock. You know, we live stream it. It's on live. You can watch it on YouTube after that too. That's absolutely right. You can check out the Gospel of John class that we're doing through our, our Sunday morning Bible class. You can check that out at at churchofvictoria.com or in YouTube. You can go and find some of the videos we have. I'm sure they're somewhere. Off to the side of the screen. Yep. Um, all right, brother. Well, why don't we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, to talk uh, tonight. Thank you, Father, that we uh, we have this medium that we can that we can use to reach out to the, uh, to folks. And we just pray, Father, you help us to say the right thing at the right time. We know there's folks out there that are that are struggling, and we just pray for them, Father. If there's any way we can help, please help us to find out what that is. Bless us, Father, tonight. Help us as we study. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to I want to bring up one before you ask the question. I want to bring up one thing. You know, I've had people ask me before why you study the Old Testament. Well, because Romans chapter fifteen says the things written in the past were written for our encouragement and through the endurance of the Scriptures that we might have hope. And it's it's to give us hope, to teach us endurance, teach us encouragement, to teach us how God how God. So that's one of the reasons we study this. That's my reason for teaching it and studying it is because it's a it's a great place to learn about God. And learn how to how to the endurance and encouragement that we need from God because it is very tough out there. Well, I don't know about you, but one lesson I've already learned. Just I mean, we're in thirty-two chapters in Genesis. Mm-hmm. We're we're barely scratching the surface of the law here, and in thirty-two chapters, what I've learned is God is ever faithful. Oh yeah, and I think yeah. I need to know that. I think I need to know that God's going to come through on His word. I, I think something too. I, I, that's that's absolute. Something too is that uh, that I don't have to be perfect. For God yeah. to use me, because because the people we've looked at, man, they're pretty imperfect. They're they're pretty imperfect. I mean, they're they're not. Uh, they've got some flaws. Sure, some real flaws. And 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 it's really encouraging to know that God can use these folks. And as we get through, we're going to find way more more and more people like that. Uh, God's not using perfect people. He made them perfect through the through the obedience to the law, and for us through the sacrifice of Christ how he makes us perfect but uh but it's really neat to watch and to know that when i sin 
those folks sinned too, and God still loved them if they were following him. So that's a, that's a really, it's really neat to understand that once you start to study through this. So. Absolutely. So there, there are a lot of good reasons to study the Old Testament. Um, one thing I'm very fond of saying is it all points towards Jesus. Absolutely. And we're going to see that more and more, especially as we get into like the priestly law mm-hmm. um, in Leviticus. We're going to see all of those shadows that the writer in Hebrews talks about that point directly towards Christ. And we'll probably look at some, we'll probably, we'll probably connect to some stuff in Hebrews, I'm sure. But even here, you know, with, with Abraham's family, what we've seen is that mankind is in need of, of a redeemer. Yeah, you know, and even these people who God is speaking to, oftentimes in a in a very intimate way, are still flawed mm-hmm. and can't can't do what they should do. I don't know if we brought it out enough, but but uh, you know, He's speaking to them through an individual most of the time, and it's usually the times. head of the house. Yeah, the man, the head, the head guy, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking to one guy, and that guy's relating. Many instances, that's the way it is. You know, when God talks to Moses, he talks to Moses. Right. When he starts booming his voice from the mountaintop, they, they, they run like a bunch of scared rabbits. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's truly amazing to, to know that God can speak to us now through the Word. He speaks to us and, and teaches us himself. That, that's, that's amazing for me. Well, I mean, the level of intimacy we have with God if we've been obedient to the gospel um, is mind-blowing. You know, Stephen accused the, in Acts chapter 6, 7, he accused the Israelites of having an uncircumcised heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, it was in direct reference to the temple because Stephen, of course, was being accused of uh, blasphemy against the temple. And so, you know, he, Stephen points out that God never wanted to live in a temple made by human hands. No. And if you've been obedient to the gospel, that means you're a new creation. You're handcrafted by God and he has sent his spirit to dwell in you. Yep. So that's... To me, I mean, we, we have a level of intimacy with God that is only shared with by Christ. That's amazing when you when you when you come to that realization. Yeah. And understanding that that I have an I, I have a relationship now with God through the blood of his son that washes me clean and I become the temple of God. Yes. Where he makes his where he makes his dwelling place. That's amazing to me. I mean, it's it's literally God among us. He, I mean, he literally lives and dwells within his people. That's right. It's what he always wanted. It's what he wanted here. Absolutely. It's what it's what he had in the garden before sin, and so, I mean, it's the the level of intimacy. I mean, Christ put it this way. He said, "There in the kingdom of heaven, the least is John the Baptist." Yeah. You know, I and mean, that's something. and he was the greatest, and, greatest and that, prophet up. And that's that point. the guy we're going to study about Sunday morning in first in John chapter one. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. But he but he'll be the least. And yeah. so um, it's 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 a very interesting dynamic, especially when you start to reflect back on yourself and you start going, man, I I don't deserve this. You know, I know who I was before the gospel. Um, I know who I am without him. And and. He, it's his work. It's his plan. Do you ever it's get his. to that point sometimes when you, uh, when you, when you, you know you've done something you shouldn't do, and you think, man, man, why in the world would God love me, man? It, you know, I, I, of course. I, how how disappointing I must be to Him. Of course. And but this shows me that I'm not. Well, it's. I think it. You know, I think there's that level of I've disappointed Him, and I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to continue doing that. 
So, I, I mean, it goes, it goes back and forwards. You know, it goes back and forth. You know, sometimes it's, man, I, I can't believe I, I did that again. I can't believe I'm in the same boat again. And other times it's, you know what, but it's getting better. He's working. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just let him continue to work. Absolutely. You know, Satan wants us totally focused in on our sin and our failures. Because when we're totally focused in on our sin and failures, we are unproductive. That's a good point. And that's that's where he wants us. He wants us zeroed in on there. Um, in Galatians, Paul makes it very clear. If you want to stop sinning, you need to get to work. Start grooving with the Spirit. When I say grooving, I just mean start walking with the Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentle, faithfulness, you know, self-control. All of these things are the fruit of the Spirit. And if we live towards that, if we make it our mission in the morning to be patient, you know, now I, it's the fruit of him. It's his work, but he's only going to work if I go along with him. So, you know, I, if that's my goal, if my goal when I get up in the morning is, is you know, Father, I'm going to try to be patient this morning and I'm going to try, I'm going to work towards that. I'm going to focus in on that. Um, once our focus becomes his work, yeah. sin, sin falls off. It's yeah. not that we won't sin. We still will. And uh, but it, it becomes less of, of the importance. You know, you're plugged into the right thing. But I think for a lot of people, you end up circling the drain. You know, oh, I can't believe I did that again. I'm so angry at myself. And then that keep my focus is on that. So then I do it again. And my focus is on that and that and that. And it just goes all the way down. And yep. then before you know it, you're throwing your hands up in the air saying, I'm done. I can't do this. Might as well give up. Might as well give up. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's definitely interesting. I love the way God works. I love I love his plan and what he does. And that's really what the Old Testament works. tells us. It shows us how he works. Absolutely. It shows how he works with individuals who are flawed. Speaking of that, we're in Genesis chapter 32, and we're dealing with an individual who is flawed. We've watched this man um, grow up and and treat people pretty horribly. We've watched him flee. We've watched him be treated pretty horribly. Now he's coming back. And so now we're going to get to, (coughs) excuse me, now we're going to see how that situation gets resolved between Jacob and Esau. This was the situation that he fled from. Remember, Esau has said that, I'm going to kill this man. And so this is something he's got to deal with. Um, Speaking of that, let me ask you, Dan, I know we're already a little late into it, but let, let me ask you this question. What does it look like in my life when I trust God? Uh, I, it, it, things start changing. Uh, the way you treat people, the way you talk, uh, because trusting God means that I'm going to be obedient, that I'm that I'm living for Him, and and that's very difficult to do. Uh, and when I look at when I look at it, I see I know people here right now that uh, that I'm watching them start to give themselves over to trusting in God. And I'm watching a dramatic change in their life. And that's fun to watch because you know where it's coming from. You know it's coming from an attitude of trust. I've tried to do it myself. It didn't work. I trusted in my own ability. It didn't work. And now here I am. I got no place else to go. My past, I I think I said this last week. People make choices, and choices make history. And the history in our lives not necessarily comes from the choices you made, but come from the choices lots of people make. And you can dwell on the history and cease to make good choices. That's not trusting in God. 
when God comes along and says, okay, you've had your fun, you've done your thing, how'd that work for you? And it didn't work. And now you've got to start to do something different. When you start to trust God, the difference is dramatic. Because all people have seen in most people's lives is them trying to fix their own problems. When I trust God uh, and I truly give it over to him, uh, I'll realize what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says. It's impossible to please God without faith. Mm. And when I have the kind of... Cause Faith is all faith is is a trust that obeys. That's what faith is. It's an obedient trust, a belief that causes you to act. And so, when what does trust look like? It looks like godliness. It looks like someone striving to be what God truly wants them to be. Finally, when you trust in a uh, when you trust a when a spouse trusts another spouse, they act like they trust them. If you say you trust, if, if I say I trust my wife and I follow her everywhere she goes and I put a tracker on her phone and I, and I quiz her every time she comes home, do I really trust her? It's going to look like I don't trust. If I trust her, I don't, I don't worry about where she's going. I don't worry about what she's doing because I know I can trust her. If I trust God, I'm gonna, it's going to look like I trust him. Didn't that sound logical? It makes sense to me. You know, well, and we're gonna. Uh, what's sad is it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Well, yes, that is sad. It is sad. You know, it is sad. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter thirty-two, and we're going to get to see. I think we're going to get to see this dynamic with Jacob. I think it's going to come out in the text quite a bit. And so let's let's jump into it. Let's see what happens when someone starts trusting God. And I, also, I want to talk about a little bit too. What tr- I think we have a sometimes a false sense of what trust in God looks like. Mm-hmm. And so I want to see what Jacob does here and what I definitely want to talk about with you. I'm really excited. This is going to be a really good class. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. Let's, we're going to be in verse 32. If you notice, I'm using um my old school Bible here. So uh, just bear with me here. I'm reading in the NAS. That's the NAS rather than the NIV this time. So just bear with me. Thir- this We're in Genesis 32 uh, verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said uh, when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place behind him. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Now, I want to take a couple of things here. First of all, what? Verse 1, now now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Mm-hmm. That's all it says. May, what, what do they have to talk about? I don't know. I don't either. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us at all. It's going to come up again in a minute. Yeah, you know? it, it's, it's kind of strange. Uh, you know, it's kind of a verse you just kind of skim over. Because it really doesn't tell us anything. It it was it was evidently meant something to him because he because he says when Jacob saw them he said this is the camp of God mm-hmm. means God allowed Jacob to see these angels. God doesn't let allow us to see what goes on right around us. Well, and what does Peter say angels are? 
their messenger sent, you know, in Hebrews it says their messengers sent to, to minister, minister sent to minister to those who will inherit eternal life. I'm sorry, Hebrews, not Peter. I apologize. Yeah. Yes, Hebrews. He, that's what Hebrews, that's what Hebrews said. Angels are just ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit eternal life. We give them a, a, a vastly great, bigger stage than, I'm not stage, I can't say that, uh, responsibility than what God tells us they have. Now, there's some that are really important. And you think Jacob, who is about to go meet a brother of his that wants to kill him, is, is in need of some ministry? Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe he needed to be reminded that God is with him. Maybe and that's know, why that's if there. If God would open our eyes, maybe there's an angel standing here right now. I don't know. Maybe that he only come when we really need him. I don't know. You know, I know that God tells us there's a spirit world that's alive and well, and it's active. Absolutely. And we need to be aware of that. Well, so it's it's interesting, and, and like you said, it'll develop later in the chapter. But then notice in verse 3 here, you know, he sends messengers before him to his brother and Esau. You know, and he commanded them saying, you shall say to my Lord Esau. Wait a minute. I thought the older was going to serve the younger. I, I think it's, you know, I don't know what that word is in the Hebrew, but I think it's probably a, a term of respect. I mean, remember, he's, he. My Lord Esau says your servant Jacob. Mm-hmm. I thought the older was going to serve the younger. Well, that was is. that prophecy. Yeah. Doesn't sound like that's what's happening here. It sounds like he's groveling. Sounds like he's groveling, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like he's he's cow- he's he's bowing down. Not that it's going to it's going to take away what God said, but he's scared. Yeah. What is this guy going to do? This guy when we left, when we left parted ways, this guy wanted to kill me. Right? And yeah. that what happened? Yeah. So well, we want to go back. I want to go back and look at um, Jacob's blessing. So Jacob had blessed. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, excuse me. Isaac had blessed Jacob. Remember, Jacob has stolen uh-huh. that blessing. Um, see. Uh, then he goes. Hey, people serve. Ah, no. It was the. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm, it was uh, Rebecca. What he told the prophecy that he told Rebecca. Here we go. Genesis chapter 25 about Isaac's son. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your belly, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Here we have the younger acknowledging the older as his Lord. Mm-hmm. So again, this prophecy is not in reference to these two kids. This prophecy is in, in, reference, is in reference to the nations. To the, nations. the nations in them. In and so why is it so important to get that? Because in other books of the Bible, there are passages that say Esau... Or Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. He is not talking about the two individual people. No. He is talking about the nations. When he refers to Israel, he's not not referring to Jacob a lot of times. He's referring to the nation. So God chooses certain people to be the patriarchs of these nations. And then he talks about the nation and the person. So it's something to keep in mind when you're reading through Scripture. You know, that one passage... A and lot think, of people have struggled with. You know, Carl, I think that's a help to uh, to people. You know, that, that we have people watching that are stu- that are students and they do study, and uh, and I think that helps uh, because I didn't really connect that either. All my life, I haven't connected that that he's really, you know, he's re- so when it says Esau, I hated. You know, I've tried to study that before and said, well, God doesn't really hate like that. Well, it's not. It's not. God didn't hate Esau. He blessed Esau. He hated what Esau's family line became. Yes. Because they became sinful, and 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 warlike, and just antagonistic. But even one person 
in that line who turns and looks for him, and God will respond. Look at Lot. You know, Lot had had uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and God hated them because where did they come from? They well, came from did didn't didn't most of the of the nations or a lot of the nations come from that sinfulness? Yes. That that Esau represented. Well, so Esau's family eventually falls into sin as a nation, um, and so do the Moabites and the Ammonites. But from the very beginning, God doesn't like the Moabites and the Ammonites mm-hmm. because of who they are because of the sin that they But if you look at of. someone like Rahab who was in who was in Jericho well and Ruth Ruth and is Ruth, a Moabitess Yeah she so, and God loved them and so he didn't really hate the So the the importance to remember here is God deals with nations a lot of times mm-hmm. and when he says he hates someone a lot of times he's referring to a very specific nation and the wickedness that it's doing it's really important to remember that God doesn't God isn't looking at individuals and saying I hate you. Now, look, let's not let's not mince words here. If you are living in sin and you are shutting out God like Pharaoh did, God's going to God punish hates you. The sin. He hates He hates the sin. He's going to punish you. Yeah. And there come a point where he will say I'm going to give you exactly what you want. Okay? But what I'm trying to point out is there are very specific passages where God says, I hated that person, yeah. Esau and Jacob. Yeah. And what we need to understand is God is talking about the nations there. Yeah. Okay. This prophecy is referring to the nations. God in those those passages is also talking about the nations. So let's pick it up in verse 6. The messengers return. So they come back to Jacob saying, we came to your brother, to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. <laughs> oh, you have a great company with you. Oh, I have a great company with me as well. Come on, man. <laughs> then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, you think? Goodness. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, you who said to me, now understand all, almost all, so, O oh God and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, that's the covenant name of, of yeah, that's Yahweh God, that's the covenant name mm-hmm. for God again. The God who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. So again, based on what you said, covenant God, right, this covenant that you've made with me, right, I am not worthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. How important is it when we talk to God that we know his promises? I think it's extremely important. I think because what can happen is we can be told what God's promises are that are not truly God's promises. Well, that's and that's dangerous. Well, but that's what happens. That's what's happening in our culture today. There are people out there saying things that are not true. Right. You know, I just heard one the other day talking about some stuff about, you know, that you can be blasted down and pull yourself back up and you and that's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. No, it's not. Wait, what did, what was he saying? I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it again, but it was that that you can be beat down and and come back up and you can raise yourself up and God will raise you up and God will bless you and and that that's the that's the true gospel of Christ. And I'm and I said, "No, it's not." But this guy was preaching and had 3,000, 4,000 people sitting around him. You know? Oh, kind of like 
health and wealth gospel. Kind of know? like, send, but it, yeah. Send me a check and God's going to bless kind you a thousand times was, more. Was, and, you know, that's not what the gospel is at all. No, right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when God says, you know, when God says, I'm going to bless you, and God says it from his holy word, and you see it, it doesn't have to be that you told me. I saw it for myself. Now, if you come and adulterated a bit and said, "Yeah, well, God said He'd bless you, but you got to give it, you got to give more money to the church, for He'll bless you," or you got to go work harder, or He's not going to bless you. That's not what He said. Well, that's changing it. That's adulterating it. That's not what God said. Well, you know, here, you know, Isaac knows what God told Abraham. I mean, Jacob knows what God told his grandfather and his father. He knows because he's been told what He told him, and. We have to listen to what, see what God says for ourselves. Well, and God's told it to Jacob. Yeah. He's told him, hey, you need yeah. to go back to this land. You need to go do this. And he told him to go. I'm going to protect you. Right? Well, and maybe that's what those angels were. Maybe maybe that's what they were trying relaying. to tell him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. All right. So he prays his prayer to God, asking for God's protection based on the promises he said. You know, thinking about it real quick, <clears throat> in the temptations of Christ, the devil uses the word of God. Yeah. To try in the temptation. Yeah. So the importance of knowing the word, knowing what God has promised, knowing how to rightly divide the word, all of these are essential. Mm-hmm. Essential for our spiritual health and well-being. And what do people do? They let somebody teach them what it says. Right. Instead of, instead of saying, God, I need your help to understand. I want to embrace the understanding of the word. God says, if I look for it like I would silver going Proverbs chapter 2, mm-hmm. he said, I'll make sure you find it. Yes. When it comes to knowledge and understanding, he said, I'll make sure you find it. Well, in Proverbs chapter 1, he says, wisdom is constantly calling out in the streets, but yeah. you're turning away from it. So, I mean, if you look at those verses, you can't say, well, I really don't understand. I don't read that well. There's other way, There's all kinds of ways that God can, can touch you with the word. And Christ said, if you seek, you will you find. find. And if you yeah. knock, the door shall be open. Yeah. Right? So... I mean, it's constantly right there. His promise that if Absolutely. you turn and look for me, you will find you me. You will find me. Right. All right. So in verse 13, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, <clears throat> pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present since my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> Slow down. I thought this guy prayed and was turning to God to protect him. So why is he doing all this other stuff? Why is he doing all this other stuff? It's what we do. Is he wrong or right in doing this? I knew you were going to ask me that. You know, I think, I think he's... Uh, is he wrong or is he right? God's going to protect him. I think, I think part of it is, for me, it would be, I know I was wrong. I know I did some stuff that was wrong, and I, and I hurt my brother. And I, and I feel responsible, and I need to reach out to him. And this is how he does it. And I think this is a kindness that he's offering to his brother. I, I really do. 
Now, it doesn't take away the fact that, that God's going to protect him. I don't think that's what this is about. I think it's about respecting his brother for who he is. He is a great nation. God made him a great nation. He knows that. And he has given him a gift of honor not to... And maybe some of it is he's looking at and said, you know, please don't hurt me. Well, because we do that. We don't trust God enough. That's what you asked me a while ago, didn't you? About trusting in God. I think sometimes we don't trust him enough. And even though he tells us over and over and over and over, we still have to see if we, if, well, maybe I need to help. God, Christ promises me in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you pursue my righteousness, these things will be added unto you, food and clothing. So then... Since I'm pursuing his righteousness, I don't need to work. No. He says a man that won't work is no better than a fool. Well, that's right. He also says, Paul will say, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's right. So I don't understand. Does it sound, it sound, it sounds like it contradicts itself? Kind of seems like a contradiction there. I used to think that too. You know, there, Jesus is talking about, say that, that scripture again. If you pursue my righteousness, these things will be added unto you. And he's talking about food and clothing. What is pursuing his righteousness mean? Uh, walking in faith, living in faith. If I live in faith, God says, I'm going to bless you. Mm -hmm. Do you not say that? Mm -hmm. And the blessings are going to be the things that you, that you seek for. You're going to work, and I'm going to give you a decent job, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a great opportunities, and you're going to be blessed because of it. I think that's happened to me over the years. I think because I pursued this thing, I think God has. You know, I mean, we had a hurricane. Hurricane Harvey came, and it was devastating. I mean, it was a nasty hurricane. 130-mile-an-hour winds right through this parking lot. Man. I mean, it was nasty. And, uh, and I was at a business of my own, and it tore both my buildings up. And you would think, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. What happened? I retired. It made me have to retire. I was thinking about it anyway, but... I said, you know, this is a sign from God. Why don't you just stop? Well, I, I, I could work some at home and do some stuff, but I had more time to do the things that, that God, God blessed me. He's continued to bless us through all of this, even though a hurricane came and took, took my livelihood away. Is God, did God bless me with a hurricane? I'm not going to say that, but I'm saying the result of it could have been devastating to, to depend on how I looked at it. Because I pursued righteousness, I looked at it from the perspective of God blessing me. You look at life different when you pursue righteousness and holiness. And God rewards us for that. He rewards us. And some of the things that come, man, I had a building that burned down. People that, that worship here, that worship here for a long time know that. Burnt both my arms. I was out of work for three weeks. Could not. You know, and everybody look at it and said, man, a, what a tragedy. No, it wasn't. I prayed for patience and God gave me some. I better quit pay, praying for patience and maybe God won't burn buildings down around me. I know, and I, I'm not going to tell, I know for a fact. Now, you can debate that. You guys watching, they've never heard me before. You say, oh, he's a knucklehead. I know for a fact that something in that building allowed that building to burn down. Maybe I'll tell you a story one day. I know for a fact because I was in that building, I know what happened in there. And I believe that it, I believe that it burnt down on purpose. And it, it showed me the power of God through the church, how the church works and how the church steps up and blesses. doesn't mean that, that, I, that I quit working and all that stuff and said, oh, I'm going to start following God. I'm not going to. I just continued to work. We rebuilt the building. People helped. We re, got it rebuilt. And I went back to work. You know, Satan, but God blessed me. Satan, when he was tempting Jesus, 
said, hey, you know, he promised that, you know, not a, not a, uh, gosh, I'm just going to look at it in Matthew. I can't, I don't want to butcher it and paraphrase it. Let me look at it. Let me get over to Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 4, I believe, isn't it? Mm, 3. 3? Three. 2, 4, 4, 4. All right. He says, he will command, this is the devil, right? This is the second temptation in Matthew, verse uh, 5. He will command his angels concerning you, or their, um, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I think what Jacob is doing is not putting the Lord his God to the test. I think he's doing what he thinks is best in the situation. God's disciples are always called to walk in righteousness and faithfulness and wisdom. And that's what I said. I think that's and what that's, he's doing. And that's what you said as well. And I, I, I want to po- point it out here because a lot of people will say, well, you just got to have faith that God's going to come and fix your problems. Yeah, but that, that's and, a- here's, and here's the thing. This is what I'm going to say. God did not promise you certain things. I've heard people's faith be challenged before. Like, well, if you really have faith in God, you just walk out into oncoming traffic. <sighs> I, I've I've seen it happen. I've seen I've seen it. I've seen people, evil people, try to do this to, to Christians before, and because we don't understand how this works, it's like with Abraham and and his son Isaac, right? Well, what if God comes to you and tells you to today to sacrifice your son? Would you do it? No, you need to go get help because God did not promise me what He promised Abraham concerning Isaac. He didn't give me those same promises. You cannot live on promises that God did not promise you. Okay, Jacob can live on this promise. But Christ rightly divines the word of God and says, but do not put the word of your, do not put the Lord your God to test. I can sit here and say, yes, I believe that what Christ said is true. If I pursue his righteousness, these things will be added unto you. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go work. It doesn't mean, because I'm not going to sit here and put God to the test. Well, God, that's what you said. So I'm going to sit here and wait and see what happens. Yeah, That's putting God to the test. It's the same thing here. Jacob fully believes, I am convinced that Jacob fully believes that God is going to deliver him. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. He doesn't know when he's going to do it. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. But while he waits for that deliverance and why he, while he expects that deliverance, mm-hmm. he is going to take the steps that he believes are the right steps he should take. And he has defrauded his brother. I love what you brought up because it's very true. He has defrauded his brother. He has robbed his brother. Mm-hmm. And he knows it. And he just spent 20 years with it happening to him. Damn. Isn't that the way it works? We do something and then it turns around and gets done to us. And then we figure out, well, that didn't feel good at all. So maybe Jacob is sitting here thinking, you know what? This belongs to him anyway. He is my older brother. He does, He is the one who should be in charge of these things. He is my Lord and I am his servant and I'm going to do the right thing. Now, I don't know how God's going to deliver me from this. I, there are 400 men that are coming at us. He's not, he didn't turn around. No. He kept going. Yeah. And so what, what I'm trying to get across here and what I'm hoping y'all are picking up, living a life of faith isn't a life of stupidity. And it's not a life of testing God. No. It's believing in the promises of God. For you to believe in the promises of God, you actually have to know what those promises are. If you don't know what he's promised, then how can you possibly believe them? How could you possibly live in them? It, it doesn't, that doesn't, it's not possible to do it. 
you don't have any faith. And you may sit out there and say, well, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Well, faith, James said very clearly, oh, so you believe? Oh, great. Yeah, the demons and the devils believe too. And they tremble. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God, you better get in the book. And you better start, you better start right. figuring out what exactly Christ is expecting of you. Because if you're saying that Jesus is my king, he is the son of God, I believe all of these things, he's seated at the right hand of God, then you better start figuring out what your king, your God, your Lord expects of you. That's right. Because there are plenty of Christians I know who call themselves Christians and couldn't tell me the first promise given to Abraham. They yeah. couldn't tell me the promises that Christ gives them. Now, if you want to tell me that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, but then you don't know anything he said, you don't know anything about how he looks at things or anything he expects of you, uh, I don't believe you believe Jesus is the Son of God. It's just that simple. Because if, I, if I'm going to believe that he's the Son of God, you better bet I'm going to go learn what the man had to say so I can start putting it into practice. That's right. That's right. Absolutely everything. I mean, that, that, that's you know, dead on point. It's not things that we should say. We should say that all the time. I mean, because it's because we have there's too many people in the world today that claim a relationship with God that, you know, and I, I told I told my this is a Friday night. We're recording. I told my my class, if you guess if you say you're a disciple, if you say you're a believer and don't look like one, don't act like one, then don't call yourself one. Call yourself a spectator because that's what you are. You're watching from the sidelines. You're not you're not involved in what's going on. That's what God told us to do. That's what Jesus promised was for, that Jesus said, I'll save you, but you got to start living for me. He said, if you are my friends, if you do what I tell you to do, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Then he said, the words I spoke will do what? Judge you in the last day. Right. If I don't know those three things, and most of the people in the world don't know those three things, everything has to do with what he said. And it's so important to know what he said, guys. He, Dan, I love that you brought up that one verse. It's absolutely true. My word will judge you in the last days. Not what somebody said my word was. Not what another group said. No, this this is our book, don't you know? We wrote this. You don't need to know this. You need to know this other book we wrote. Yeah. There are groups that do that. I know. Yeah. So it's his word that's going to judge us. We and better know it. the reason for that is it, it because I only said exactly what the Father told me to say. That's what he said. Better than that. Isn't that something? It doesn't get any better than that. No, absolutely. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna finish out this at least this portion of it. So he tells these groups, he gets these groups set up. So in other words, it's succeeding groups. It's succeeding groups moving towards Esau, right? He split them up into two camps: the herds up here in the front heading towards Esau, and then him and the families and the children in the back heading toward Esau. And then he's got these gifts. So as Esau and his four hundred men move towards him, is it four or three hundred? Golly, I just read it. Can't remember. Um. Verse 19. Verse 19. He commanded also. Yes. Um, then he commanded also the second and third and all those who followed the drove, saying, After this manner you shall say to Esau, right, behold your servant. But was it 400 or 300 men? 400. 400. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So 400 men are coming towards him, and he, they're going to keep running into these groups. Um, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So... I, 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 I like your, I like what this says. Let me read what verse 20 says here. Sure. He said, and, he's, and to be sure, and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Said, Maybe I can dissuade 
his anger and his venom a little bit because that's what he believes that he's going to get from Esau. That's what he, you know, a lot of times people don't act the same way as we think they're going to act. Right. It's only because we think that that's how we would react. And he said, and perhaps he will receive me. All he wants here is for him and his brother to have a relationship. That's what he's looking at, isn't it? I just want my brother to receive me. Well, and again, and I think I think the important thing here to remember is this is not, he, he is still walking in faith. Mm-hmm. He hasn't turned around and walked away. He knows God is going to deliver him, but he's not going to test God and do nothing. Oh, well, God said he's going to deliver me, so I'm going to just sit here and wait for him to deliver me. He's going to do it, so I'm going to sit here. And a lot of times that's what we think. That's what we think if faith looks like. Well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for God. Yes, being patient and waiting for God is important. That's part of it. But God has also commanded him to move forward. Yeah. So he's going to move forward as wisely as he and can. think about it. Well, something you said a while ago. He, he's a godly man. Now, yes. Now he And he, what godly men do is try to fix relationships, not destroy them. And at this point right now, he wants, to have, he wants his brother to receive him. In a, in, a, in the right way. Because he really wants a relationship with his brother. He hadn't had one for 20 years. 20 years. And he, and he said, he said I, will, I will pacify him with these gifts. Well, you know, I mean, look at how much God's blessed me. Well, I can and, give some of this away. And what did he need to pacify him for? Because of what he, he stole. Because what he did. Right. And what he thinks that Esau is going to do, why he's coming with 400 men. Because in his mind, he believes he's coming to take exact revenge. He doesn't know that for sure. That's what he feels because he feels, you know, it looks like he's been carrying this around with him for 20 years. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. You know why it looks like that? Because we carry some of that same stuff with us around for for months and months and months and think that it's worse than it is when it isn't. Because we just didn't bother to go try to fix it. He's trying to fix this, I believe. So Verse 22, now he rose that well, same I, I, night. You know, you know, th- this is going to take a while. This next part is going to take I, a while. I'm gonna fi- we're going to okay. finish with 22 right. and 23. Now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the, uh, of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. So he is committed, and that's where we're going to end it tonight. We'll, we'll get into the next portion. Yeah, because the next portion is going to take a bit. So let's, let's stop and think about it. Being a faithful disciple means I know what he's promised. I know what he said. And we've seen the importance of that through Jacob's prayer and his commitment to doing what God has said. He knows what God said. We've also seen it reflected in Christ and in the temptations where the devil will come and tempt Jesus, even with the very word of God. So the importance of knowing the word, knowing the promises cannot be overstated. It's absolutely vital. We've also seen that I can still walk in faith, which Jacob is. He's still moving forward. He's sending his, he's, he's done this thing that he thinks is also a good thing, but we just walking in faith and trusting in God does not mean that we do not act. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think we see that also reflected in the temptations of Christ as well, where Satan says, oh, well, God said he's going to do this for you, right? So why don't you just go ahead and throw yourself off this cliff? And Jesus said, he also says, don't test the Lord your God. So what I am saying is if Jacob had sat on his hands here, it probably would have been testing the Lord. Oh, you said you were going to deliver me? Okay, we'll see how. I'm going to sit on my hands and do nothing. Yeah. 
God, you know, many times God delivers us through the things he asks us to do. And I don't think people understand that sometimes. We need to, we need to recognize that God's going to be involved. Some of the things that we get our children to do by teaching them and training them is by what we allow them to do and what we are involved with them as they do. Playing in a playground and watching them as they slide down a slide or, or swing on a swing, making sure they do it the right way. We're training them and teaching them. God's doing the same thing to us lots of times. He doesn't, you can't, if, if, if your children go on a playground and, you, and they sit down and you're not going to be able to teach them anything about how to swing on a swing or slide down a slide. God's expecting the same of us. Get involved. Get busy. Start doing the things that God's called you to do. And let God train you and teach you through those things that, he's, that you're involved in. And God's going God's to raise us up and, and bless us. It's a true, a, you know, I watched y'all, you know, you had your little daughter and y'all know they're out there. It's a blessing for those children to have godly parents that are on a Friday night up here studying, memorizing stuff, singing songs mm. with them, and then playing on the playground with them. That's a blessing for a family. We see, you and I see way too many families that are train wrecks. They really are train wrecks. And they, and they got, they're so dysfunctional. Sometimes you feel like there's no amount of nothing going to fix this because they're so dysfunctional. Well, but we've also seen it time and again where when you turn and you start actually giving yourself over to God and your family over to God, it's amazing. The train wreck gets cleaned fix. up in a hurry, don't it? It's it's very. It gets amazing. cleaned up in a hurry. It really does, and it's it's amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the for the gift of faith, for the for the trust that we have in you, and for the for the God that you are that we can trust you. We know, Father, that your promises are true, and they're valid, and you're going to do the things you said you're going to do for us. You promised to bless us. You promised to save us. And we know all of that's true. Help us to live like it. Help us to treat those around us like it. Help us, Father, to, to strive every day to be the people your son died to make us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.